Okay, so I'm here with the world's strongest man, a two-time Olympian, WWE Hall of Famer, and co-host of Sirius XM's Busted Open. Mark Henry, thank you so much for joining me on the pod. Well, thank okay, you so, for having me. Listen, I'm starting out, you know where I'm starting out with Church's Chicken. Okay, so we all know that we heard about the Popeye's Chicken Sandwich. It had everyone going crazy, but now Church's Chicken Sandwich has entered the chat. How did you get involved with being part of the first ever world's only Church's Chicken Sandwich Truck? You know what? They contacted me because they see I'm in the food world now. Yeah. I've kind of not exited the sports world because I'm always going to be a part of it. But, um, you know, I'm working right now on a food show uh, that I'm not at liberty to say too much about. Oh, come on. You can't drop it here. <laughs> You're, this is not coming out till December. It'll be January. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So at the beginning of January, we, everybody will know. Uh, I judged the World Food Championships. My mom was a chef. I grew up doing prep for her and cooking my whole life. So the only thing I know better than strength is cooking. Wow. And it, it helped me out a lot because I, I needed to eat a lot when I was competing. You know, in my sport, you know, to be 400 pounds, I'm, right now I'm like 330. And I've lost 100 pounds because I don't eat like that anymore. But when I was competing, I was eating close to 13,000 calories a day. Ooh. And it seems like it would be easy. You would eat ice cream and cookies and stuff like that with a lot of carbs. But I needed protein. So I was eating, you know, 40 ounces of steak a day. and What? Uh, yeah, the whole chickens and stuff like that. So it was pretty rough. It wasn't fun. Yeah, so then they contacted you because they know that you're into it, and they was like, all right, listen, we got a sandwich. Like, how does that, like, what was the pitch? What made you say yes? Well, because I, I grew up in Southeast Texas, and we didn't have a lot of other chicken places. I mean, yeah, everybody had Colonel Sanders. Yeah, everybody, yeah, see? Know, but that was it in my town, mm -hmm. and a little small town, 3,000 people, and I just always looked forward to going to Beaumont, which was the big city. It was yeah. 100 and something thousand people and I was like because we get to go get churches and <laughs> I, I was always a churches fan and uh, when they called and I told the guy that I was a fan he was like oh man I was I was so good to hear that because we always get the other companies and I was like well you know what man I was like you you, you call the right one because um, you know I'm a churches guy Love that. Okay, so this actually goes along with what I was going to say. So you brought up Beaumont, Texas, where I read that you were a big Andre the Giant fan, and you had a story where you went to a wrestling show in Texas. So can you just tell me about that experience? I heard you tried to touch him. What happened? Tell me what happened. My, my grandmother, she would scrape all her pennies together and take me to Beaumont from Silsby, the little town I lived in, on a Greyhound bus. You know, we, we, we didn't have a lot, so nobody had cars and stuff. Like, that was a big luxury. Uh, you stomp on the floor, dirt came through the floor. Like, we, <laughs> I, I grew up really, really poor. And we went to Beaumont Civic Center, and Andre the Giant was wrestling a guy named Nam, probably the biggest Asian dude you ever seen in your life, and he was mean as a bag of rattlesnakes. <laughs> and when Andre was coming to the ring, all the kids would run to try to reach out and touch him or high-five him or something. And when they did that, like, one of the kids pushed me in the back and both of my hands, it was like bicycle racks, 
So my hands on the ground like a push up, and my feet are up on the rack. And Andre is walking, and he just unfazed, just reach over and grab me, and pick me up, and put me back put on the other back. side of the barricade. And I was a big kid. I was probably 200 pounds at that. That's point. what I was going to ask. Like, like what, what were you? What was the stature there? Where you were 200 pounds at, at that age? But but his fingers touched. Uh-huh. Like when he grabbed me, the front of his fingers touched on my chest. I remember him picking me up. And me looking down, and his hands were touching. Wow. And he just put me over there. I was just like, dang. Like, he was so big. And I always wanted to be a wrestler, but I didn't know how to. You know, I didn't know that that was even something that you can aspire to. And that's one of the reasons why I've done a lot of work to expose kids to uh, different things, not just in front of the camera, but behind it. Love it. Love it. And so speaking of, you wanted to be a wrestler. How does a Texas state high school powerlifting champion that went on to be the world's strongest man go on to be a WWE superstar? Like, how do you keep transitioning and keep leveling up like that? You know what? Like, um, I was a fan of pro wrestling and I was unapologetically a fan. So like I did Oprah, I did a couple other shows where They asked me, what did I do in my spare time? And I was like, listen, I have a lot of hobbies, but on Mondays and Sundays, those are the days I watch wrestling. Don't bother me. And the owner of the company heard that, and uh, they reached out to me, and I went to visit, and I never looked back. Wow, I love that. So your pro wrestling career started in 96 and went all the way up until three years ago in 2017. You kind of hit on it a little bit when you talked about introducing other younger kids to the sport. But like, how has the landscape changed from when you entered pro wrestling to now? Because, I mean, no one can argue that there's more diversity than there was more than ever before. God, yes. Uh, when I came into wrestling, there were three black people, three talents. And no executives, no people in the office, no people on the crew. And Ernie Ladd came up to me and he said, uh, Henry, they, uh, these people look like they want to do a lot with you. Don't mess it up for everybody black after you. Yeah, because no, you get no that pressure. one. You were the test dummy. You I get- was the test dummy for sure. Like, <laughs> I mean, and literally a dummy because I had no clue about pro wrestling culture. I was just a fan. I just saw it from the outside as a fan. And talking to Ernie Ladd that day, he really didn't go into detail of what was expected of me, you know, anything. I just was kind of on my own. And the WWE has since then apologized for throwing me to the wolves. But you know what? I grew up with no safety net. It was either succeed or work at the docks or work at the paper mill or something that was very menial. And uh, I had bigger dreams than that. I love that. So when you say that they kind of just, like, how did you learn? Did you just, you learned on the job? Like, I mean, like, how do you, because you're saying it so simply, but we're talking about pro wrestling. You ended up becoming this mega star now in the Hall of Fame. So how do you get from they fed you to the wolves and then you just like feasted? Like, how, how did you get there? You know, my first match was a pay-per-view. And wow, the very first one. You're straight to pay-per-view. The very first match. I what? mean, start at the top and uh, see what happens. And I succeeded. 
And I thank Jerry Lawler every time I see him for that first match because you're only as good as the person you're in the ring with. And he was great and did a lot of teaching. And I've been fortunate enough to be very coachable and can follow directions. It's just that my tolerance for bull crap is very, very short. Yeah. And the one thing that I found in pro wrestling is the guys respect toughness. They respect mm. the ability to punch people in the mouth if they cross you. And in my ignorance, I had always been the big dog. So I never had nobody challenge me like that. And if they did, I was open to like, man, well, let's go outside and handle it. And <laughs> punch him we'll, in the we'll face. Shake, they respect. We'll shake hands. We'll shake hands right after. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I ain't gonna hold no grudge. And the guys respected that. And at first, it, it wasn't accepted. But as they saw, okay, that's who he is. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't gentle mess with giant. Me. So you ended up being almost a gentle giant. Like, I, I'm, I'm respectable. I, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a guy that likes to read and likes to think. But <laughs> um, end of the day, if this world goes to martial law, you're going to want to know somebody like me because I'm not for the games. And uh, that served me really well in pro wrestling because there were guys that boxed. There were guys that were rodeo riders. There were guys that were football players, MMA guys, you name it. Yeah. And nobody was exempt. If you got on my bad side, I would tell you, like, I don't think that karate stuff would work on me. <laughs> so if you want to find out, then let's keep down Come this road. Me. <laughs> but I but it, it ended up. It ended up being something that they saw a toughness in, a, in, a, in my leadership abilities and uh, the people that mattered were like, Mark, if you stop wrestling today, we want you to come work for the company. Wow. And that was greater than, you know, being in the ring to me. I felt like, wow, they, they saw that my character was consistent and I didn't drink, I didn't smoke. And there were so many guys that did horrible things. And I was always the, the wolf. I was always the cleanup guy. I didn't want the company to be embarrassed. So I covered up a lot of stuff to protect the business and, and protect them guys that didn't, that didn't like me. Like a lot of stuff, so, like what, like what would you have to cover up? Like you don't have to name drop or anything, but like what kind of stuff would you have to cover up? Well, we had guys that would take drugs and pass out on planes and, oh. you know, I'm, I'm grabbing them by the shoulder and, and so he he been he been sick. He's real tired. He took some amb you know ambient or something. Yeah. And I'm I'm taking people people drunk and passed out, and I'm I'm taking care of them. There's a couple of situations where people kind of bullheaded like me, and would not want to fight people and different things. And you know it was like hey, it wasn't one of our guys. You know like I'm I'm making sure that everybody's gone, left the scene. Yeah. I mean it, it was a, it was a ton of things, but I didn't just do it because I was trying to show the company my worth. I was trying to do it because I was protecting the business. Like you know the WNBA, we we saw how well you've done in your life and uh, all the successes that you had, the last thing you want is to put an ugly face on the right. WNBA. Absolutely. So that was exactly how I felt. I didn't want the WWE to have any kind of negativity in its direction. So oh, I like that. So you talked about being no nonsense. And I'm going to take it back to 1992 where you were left angry and shocked because Michael Jordan was disrespectful during an encounter during the Olympics. 
Can you just walk me through that? Because now hearing the guy you are and the character you have and the no nonsense, like, can you just walk me through that? Well, I mean, people sensationalize the negativity of it, but they didn't, you know, say the whole story. What's the and the, the way that it happened is I was in the lobby of the hotel with friends of mine that were on the team. And Michael, uh, I don't know if you ever met him before, but Michael has a, a like most stars, a, a kind of an overinflated idea of who they are as stars. And I, I, I've just been around it too much. And for him to come and say, not, hey, how y'all doing? Uh, hey, man, you, you're obviously not on our team. You know, who are you? You know, something like that. Yeah. It was, it was like very arrogant the way that he said, who are you? And I was like, who the hell are you? And, <laughs> you know, at that point, yeah, you bark right people back. started laughing, but I wasn't laughing. <laughs> yeah. And me telling him that you're out of line, that you need to watch your mouth, resulted in him going, no, no, I wasn't trying to disrespect you, man. I just wanted to know who you were. And okay. I said, I have an Olympic credential on. Like, you know, you could have got close enough to read it. You know, like the way that you said it. And, and, and we had a discussion about it because I'm not a Neanderthal. I can communicate. So you had a discussion after the incident happened, like yes. and after the fallout. You guys. Yeah, I mean, just immediately. Like we're, we're talking now. I'm trying to get people to stop laughing because it wasn't uh -huh. funny. And uh, he was like, look, man, I, I'm the last dude that won't trouble. And he was like you know what, the All-Star game is coming up after the Olympics, and my birthday is, is All-Star weekend, so if you want to come, man, I, I'll have my people, you know, send the invitation what? to you. And they but, did. And I they went did, to his, for real? Yeah, and I went to his birthday, shook his hands, told him happy birthday, and it was over with. See, I love you that. Know? But see, people didn't tell the full story. They just made it seem like Michael's an asshole, and I wanted to beat him up. At that moment, I did, but... <laughs> Um, but that was, was, that was just the way he was a man it. about it. Yeah. And then you guys hashed it out and he did, he even took it a step further. Like I, you don't even see that part. He even took it a step further, invited you to all-star his birthday. And then y'all hashed it out. Like men shook hands and was over with. It was over with. And I had a good time. Yeah, I'm sure my, you did because I'm, I've heard that. Okay. So I'm gonna ask you this then because I went to All-Star a couple years, of course, and Jordan's parties are like the most exclusive parties that you can't get in. So what is it like to be in the, like, is it all it's cracked up to be? What was that experience like? It was, it was a lot of fun. Like everybody in there, you, you recognize from TV or you recognize that like I had never, I had never seen people like Amar Rashad in person before. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, I was like a little kid just walking in and seeing all these stars <laughs> and go, holy Wow, that's so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, I ended up standing with David Robinson for probably about five minutes talking to him because I knew David from being in San Antonio and I was a basketball fan. And Irvin Johnson was came up and talked to me because he remembered me from the Olympics. And and we sat there and talked. And he, he couldn't believe that, you know, that I, I could dunk. And he saw the uh, Oh, you can get up? You can get up back then? Oh, man, I, I had 33-inch vertical, man. I used to do it. And, hey. um, I mean, you, you you don't see many 400-pound dudes that can that can throw it down. But No, that's why I asked, because at, even at a young age, you were 200 pounds. So I knew that by the time we're talking here, yeah, you're definitely at least 300. So that's super impressive. A 33-inch vertical? 
What? Yeah, the first time that I dunked was in uh, uh, 10th grade. And, wow. Uh, it was wow. like something that a lot of guys was like, man, do you realize what you're doing? And I'm like, I thought that was just the norm. And I didn't realize that 300-pound guys didn't dunk. No. And And you also played football, right? I did. So you were just like an all-around stud athlete, like just just a typical athlete that is just – they say they say the athlete that if you throw a ball at it, it doesn't matter what ball they throw at you, you probably could play with it. I I would definitely say yes because I like to pat myself on the back every now and then. (laughs) But I I just – I'm the only person ever been the world champion in three different sports that have nothing to do with each other. And talk your talk. You're the only person that's ever been a world champion in three different sports. And six-time national championship champion in another sport. Well, I didn't win the world championships in Olympic weightlifting, but in Olympic weightlifting, it's not just a, a sport about strength. It's about skill. And the way that guys beat me was they were able to raise their strength equal to mine with having more experience and technique so I I competed against people that cheated and I I made abundantly clear to the Olympic committee that if they didn't try to fix all of the cheating that I was not going to do Olympic weightlifting no more so after 96 Olympics then I I just quit the sport and that's why you quit because of you just felt like people were doing techniques and cheating to try to compete with actual strength well they were taking steroids and blood doping and anything else that you can do and Thomas Ayan who was the president of the International Weightlifting Federation, like they told me to stop complaining that they were going to kick the sport out of the Olympics. But how could they not be, like, are y'all not getting drug tested? Well, we did. The American team, we got drug tested random. Uh, Every competition you go to, you get tested. And there were cases where they would go to drug test people and Mm -hmm. nobody would be there. Like, the teams just conveniently came up missing wow. when it was drug testing time. And they were and still two, allowed to compete. Yes. Two of the guys that I competed against in the Olympics that won the Olympics had positive drug tests the year before and was on suspension for a year. So when you're suspended, you don't get tested. Oh, wow. So they were So on- they took all the drugs they could take, and it was yeah. intentional. And then – Two or three months before the Olympics or before the World Championships, they were allowed to come back and, and compete. And I just they thought detox, that was bullshit. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's crazy. That's so crazy, especially... It's a very corrupt sport. I'm, I'm sure that there's other corrupt sports out there. And, and America, the drug testing has gotten better. You know, we have Americans that are winning medals now and doing really well. But from what I understand, they're kicking out people that are holding their face to the fire so they can wow. get back to cheating again. Well, and I mean, that's, in boxing, that's not good. Yeah, it's not good. You know, in boxing, actually, uh, Mike Tyson talked about using a whizinator one time for one of his fights. And that's if people don't know, that's where you basically use urine. A that's prosthetic. Not, yeah, a prosthetic that has urine. I have to watch your I was watching, you, you look <laughs> like you didn't have the right word. Yes, thank you very much for that, alley-oop. That's what I said, throw it at you, throw it back. But, yeah, they had a prosthetic that's not their own urine, and that's how you pass a drug test. So, to your point, this is people that have said themselves. This is Mike Tyson saying it himself on his podcast. So, for people that are thinking that this is really uncommon, it's not as uncommon as No, you not think. at all. Wow, yeah, you may think. So, now, I just want to go back, just touch a little bit more on the WWE because – WWE has been heavy in the military. You guys visit bases and stuff. What was one of your best experiences 
being involved with the WWE when it came to the military? Tribute to the troops was always the thing that I loved the most. And that was Vince McMahon's baby. Like we would go overseas and we didn't go to the places where it was safe all the time. Like I've been shot at four or five times and we've had guys that, you know, had to do emergency landings and helicopters and Blackhawks because they was taking fire. And we had guys. How are they shooting at you guys? Well, because like we were going to out far outposts to see guys that haven't seen people in months. And like we service everybody. Like, so wait, you know, who was shooting the people that you were going to go visit because they didn't know it was you or it was who? No, no, no. This this is was uh, soldiers, Iraqi soldiers were shooting at what? us. And if I could go, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'll go through my phone. It would take too long. But there was a point where we were in Stryker, Camp Stryker in 2002 or 2003. And the alarms went off. And they said that there was insurgents trying to uh, set IEDs, so they had to go and handle that. And, wow. And then guys came back, and they took the alarms, went off, and they said, all right, everything's good. Everybody go about your normal work. The next day, they said that there were, like, 33 people that got killed. Mm-hmm. Not, not U.S. soldiers, but they killed, like, 33 people. They were trying to set all these bombs on the highways outside of the fob that we were at and i was like so y'all were in the trenches like this ain't just this is not this is not a a community wba cares type just build cup put a couple nails in y'all were really doing community work we did it we did it big and what um i mean there's a hundred stories of stuff that happened but for the most part it was all positive and i didn't mind putting my life at risk for our soldiers like i mean the Mm. The least that I could do is put myself in harm's way while they're putting themselves in harm's way for us. Wow. That's beautiful. And it wasn't just me. It was everybody that went on those trips and the guys and girls, nobody complained. There was no ego. Uh, Okay. The big show might've complained a little bit because he's a huge guy. Yeah. And and in little tiny bench seats, because it wasn't like you was flying first class. There was no, Air, cargo nets and, and benches. Wow. That's, I mean, it was brutal for him. And, and so you I guys felt, didn't even, this was a choice. Like, how did it happen? Did they just say, hey, we're going, sign up if you want to go? Was it mandatory one time? Like, was not mandatory. It was, wow. it was one of those where, hey, we're doing tribute to the troops. If anybody wants to be a part of it, uh, let it be known to the talent relation office. And, you know, you get somebody like John Cena. They're like, man, we really need you to be on this because the guys know you and you're the champion and yada, yada, yada. People's and champ. No, nobody, nobody said no. Like, I mean, we were always for the tribute to the troops. Okay, so, I mean, that's a wild story, but it's, it's inspiring that you guys are putting your lives at risk, but for our soldiers who's doing the same for our country. So that's why I said we have a segment called Hero in Real Life, and you are going to get that for that. That is amazing. But just tell me, what would you say of all the years, and I know you're still kind of doing it, what would you say would be your most memorable WWE moment? Uh, If I had to pick one, I would have to say my match at WrestleMania with The Undertaker at WrestleMania 22. There's not many guys that get to be in a main event at WrestleMania. Nonetheless, with The Undertaker who is probably the most iconic figure 
in pro wrestling uh, other than The Rock and, and Hulk Hogan. And Ric Flair, that's kind of my Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling. But that's four I, I, people. Wait, that's four. Isn't there supposed to be five on the on the mount? No, it's four. It's four. Just four? I was going to say. You talking about alternate. See, you a basketball player. Y'all always talking about five. Yeah, we're starting five. So <laughs> I'm going to just make a starting five, and I'm going to throw you in there then because I'm just going to do it because you are iconic. You, I mean, as far as when it comes to the community, the black and brown community, I mean, that was huge. So I'm going to throw you in there. I know you're giving out them their little Mount Rushmores, but, yeah, you belong on there too. Well, I, I think that my contributions to pro wrestling has been behind the scenes and being a success, like Ernie Ladd was saying, so that more African-Americans yeah. could come into the sport. And myself and The Rock and Booker T and Ron Simmons and a host of other guys, D'Lo Brown and Flash Funk. And I mean, there, there's probably 30 guys now that are coming to the business that have elevated the business to where the wrestling is to where it is today. And I try to make sure that every young brown person, Hispanic or black, or uh, every other origin of people know that it didn't happen by accident. Right. Oh, I love that. All right, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit. These are our quick hitters. Um, I ask a lot of questions about TV shows, basically book club, think book club for TV and movies. So I'm going to start out. Are you currently binge watching anything right now? I, I watch everything when it comes out. I'm, I'm kind of a, a, a Netflix nerd, yes. Disney like yes. you, you, man, I'm, I'm, I'm done. My brain is just gone. Okay. So, all right. So since we don't know a specific one for that, I'm going to ask you, what do you think is the best sports movie of all time? Wow. I think the best one is probably Hoosiers. Okay. Uh, I, I love that, you know, scene where the coach, I can't think of his name right now, but he goes and measures the rim yep. to the floor. And, mm -hmm. and they were like, what are you doing? And he said, I was just checking. It's 10 feet. Same <laughs> as I, Jim. Yep. Like, you got more yep. seats in it. But he basically telling them, there is no difference. Not for you. You playing. It's no difference. And I was like, fired up. I was like, <laughs> Those movies Man. do get you turned. <laughs> oh, my God. Rocky, Rocky 1 was up, is up there. Okay. Um, Rocky 3 is up there. Um, Rudy, a lot of people. I mean, even though they embellished on on the movie, uh, it's a movie. It, it, it yeah. wasn't meant to be complete truth. Uh, they have to dramatize it. Did people? They have to dramatize it for the ratings. But yeah, yeah dress it up, dress it up, make <laughs> me excited. But I mean, there's there's been a, there's been a lot of them. Like if if I had time to sit here and, and really think then I probably could come up with 10. I well, like you were supposed one. to pick your best. You gave us like six because it was supposed to be what is your favorite sports movie of all time? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to just have to go with Hoosiers. I love it. I love Even it. though Denzel Washington was pretty good in um, uh, Glory, not Glory Road. He got um, game? Oh, I can't put that in my top. Okay, listen. I, listen, you said Denzel. I was just throwing out some a Denzel one. The, I, I like Jesus Shuttlesworth, but I, I, I think that the um, the the one where he was a football coach. Oh yeah, remember the Titans. Remember the Titans. Yeah, like that emotionally got me because Ooh, I yeah. grew up like that. My football team 
It was a black side of town and a white what? side of town. And football was the common denominator brought us together. And we would go play towns. We, Viter, Texas. Yeah. If you look it up, it's one of the historically, one of the worst clan places in the mm. world, in the United States. And uh, we had our bus stoned before, knocked out all the windows and stuff like that. And, and what kind of mm. adult, what kind of adult would throw rocks and bricks at kids? You know, we were kids. And too much, yeah, too much hate in I'm, the heart because no adult yeah, would it's, throw it's, a rock at kid except for if you have hate in your heart. So, yeah, that's that's what kind of adult. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's, it's a brutal thing. It's a brutal thing. You so know, you know you? as much as I do. I grew up in West Virginia. So <laughs> just so you know. So, yeah, I get it. I get it. Who would you say is a hero in real life to you? Irvin Johnson is probably the biggest hero to me because uh, the first job I ever got was because of him. And in 1979, 80, they came out with these shoes called Weapons, Converse Weapons. And they were 70-something bucks. They were like 77, 79 bucks. And I I told my mom I wanted those shoes. And my mom said, I'm I'm not paying $80 for some shoes you're not wearing to church. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, you you have to get that on yourself, on your own. And granted, I wasn't big enough or old enough to push a lawnmower by myself. Right. But what I ended up doing is I ended up doing assorted chores at gas station at the convenience store and uh, helping my uncle clear off fields and different stuff. And I ended up making about 280 bucks that summer. Okay. And like I bought all my own school clothes. I bought those shoes I wanted. I had the purple and gold weapons. Come on now. And I felt like Superman in them shoes. And I told Irvin that story. We both stood on that plane going to the Olympics crying because he was an inspirational force to me. Wow, that's beautiful. Okay, so one last thing I always like to ask everyone in these remote times and in these COVID times, how are you connecting while being remote? Like, so how are you staying connected to people while we're all just kind of in the house? Well, luckily enough for me, uh, I've been really blessed in some of my charitable endeavors. You know, we try to do stuff outside. I try to get kids together. We had 700 kids on a Zoom call during a workout. What? And uh, I had 25 live with me doing this workout. And the WWE were kind enough to let me have some of the talent to come on and say hi to the kids while we're doing the workout. Yeah. And and motivate them. Uh, so I, I've still been able to get out and do some things, but it's been really hard social distance. You know, I'm squirting sanitizer in kids' hands. And, and it's kids. And you got to so have a mask, like doing, doing the most. So yeah. um, I, I've been blessed to be able to still do a lot of the stuff. It's just that I can't do as much with, so, with, with as many kids. 25, you know, was kind of the limit of the places where I was allowed to go. Well, I was going to say, yeah, while you had 25 in person, I mean, 700 kids on a Zoom, though, 
that's yeah. doing that's doing a lot like you say you're not be able to do as much as before but 700 kids on one zoom not just on their chit chat and exercising probably talking to each other communicating having some socialism because you know the kids are in the house board too yeah. so i think that that's that's beautiful that that's how you're spending your time connecting while being remote and listen mark henry the world's strongest man wwe hall of famer thank you so much for coming on remotely renee Hi, this is Dr. Joy. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, where communities can be disconnected, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. They believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can help build a more connected community. Neighbor to neighbor. It takes a neighborhood. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens. And that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.